Now, you know it's true that I, I don't do that very often. Um, I don't send out a GOL and, and entreat you. But here, here's, what I, here's the deal I'll make you. Um, I'm not sure how well this subject will be treated tonight. You'll have to make that call. But um, I think you will agree that the subject is of um, considerable importance. So th- that's why I wanted to make sure that, uh, or at least I wanted to try and um, entreat you to be here. Let me read you the last three verses of Galatians. The, uh, in, it's in chapter 6, of course, but the, here, are the, um, here are the last three verses, 16, 17, and 18. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear my, on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Guys, I want to call your attention uh, to two words in those verses. Uh, in verse 16, you will, see, you will find the word rule, that is, who walk by this rule. You see that. And then, of course, in verse 18, you find the word grace. Um, Paul does not see those two things as opposites, as enemies, as contradictory. Rules or rule and grace. Now, with that said, let me describe to you my motivation for doing what I'm about to do tonight and next week. Um, On March the 21st of this year, it was a Wednesday night, and um, uh, in my my lesson that night, I made allusion to the parable in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. You know, one had five talents, one had two, and one had... um, had one and, and the, the, the two did really well and the guy with one, he didn't do so good. And, and, um, and in the, my treatment of uh, Matthew 25, I drew your attention to verse 24. Um, in verse 25, where, where the, the guy with the one talent who didn't do so good, he said, um, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. And I drew your attention to that text, and, and I made a comment or two about it. And um, afterwards, after I was done and, and I had directed you to where the desserts were, I had three men, good men, solid men. They quickly responded in dismay about, um, about that, that Matthew 25 um, or at least they were responding in dismay about my comments about that. I'm not real sure which. <clears throat> but they were all concerned to know how, would you, how do you square that with grace? That is this notion that Jesus is a severe man and expecting performance and, and um, um, entrusts things to you and expects you to use them and all that business. And their, their question was all pretty much the same. How do I square that with grace? And I have been waiting since March the 21st to say this to you tonight. I really have. It was, it was, it was really alarming to me. Um, either I had taught it so poorly that I left wrong impressions in your mind, which is always a possibility with this guy, but, or... A second possibility is that grace is still a mystifying concept with you 
or perhaps a variety of other slip-ups. I don't know. But I was alarmed at the, at the, at the quizzical nature of how do you square that with grace? What do you mean, how do I square it with grace? I mean, it's in Matthew 25. Jesus did say it. Why do I need to square it with anything? So I thought it wise, um, back in March, I thought it wise to come back to this subject, not to the parable of Matthew 25. I thought it wise to come back to this subject um, that is the subject of grace, Um, And I was prompted by this closing passage, especially this close juxtaposition of two words, rule and grace. Those two things are pretty much in the same sentence or in a sentence right next to it. And Paul saw no inconsistency there. Now, tonight, what I want to do is try to give you uh, some kind of um, help, I hope. I, uh, I said that I'm concerned for your spiritual safety, and I, I, I said that in the GOL, and I am. I am. I mean, um, guys, you've got to get this, and, and what I want to talk to you about tonight, and I, and I hope I'll make it clear enough for you, and if not, <laughs> uh, come back next week, and I'll try again. Um, I'll, do, I'll try to do better next week, but this is important. Um, I want to start. I want to start in Psalm one nineteen. Very honestly, tonight is kind of the Old Testament um, uh, edition. Next week we'll get the New Testament edition of the same subject, but seeking some clarity. Psalm one nineteen. What do you know about Psalm one nineteen? Well, that's the longest psalm in the Bible. Well, it sure is. It's one hundred and seventy six verses or something like that. Um, um, yeah, one hundred seventy six verses. Um, Do you know the author? You know who wrote Psalm 119? Well, that would be David. David, as you know, is uh, is called the man after God's own heart. He wrote this psalm. It's a brilliant psalm. And and, and it's, um, I want to read you the first eight verses. I want to do it pretty quickly because I'm I'm not going to comment much. But he starts by saying, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but but walk in his ways. Uh, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways might, may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with the upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not, forsake, do not utterly forsake me. Now, gang, do you know what Psalm 119 is besides being the longest psalm in the Bible? Um, gang, Psalm 119 opens the way that it opens because it starts with the word blessed, not blessed. <laughs> we don't say parked. Um, it's blessed. Uh, you learned that blessed when you were in the Methodist church, uh, but it's blessed. But um, it opens with blessing because the psalm, ladies and gentlemen, is the very definition of blessedness. That's what the psalm is giving you. Um, I, I brought this Bible because it has some notes in it. And I, and I just wanted to read one sentence out of the note in the bottom of it. It says, this psalm celebrates the gift of God's Torah 
or covenant instruction as the perfect guide for life. This is a psalm about blessedness. And ladies and gentlemen, in this one psalm, the word rules appears 17 times. When the man who was after God's own heart got ready to define blessedness, he mentioned rules 17 times. That's not to mention how many times he used commandments or law or um, statutes. I, I didn't even add those up. He is giving you the perfect guide for life and the perfect definition of blessedness and woven into it again and again and again and again and again and again is the notion of keeping righteous rules. So, ladies and gentlemen, any definition of grace that you might have that leaves you uncomfortable with rules is the wrong definition. You got the wrong definition of grace. Or let me say it differently. Any definition of grace that you might have that leaves you cozy, comfy with sin It's the wrong definition of grace. It's mushy grace versus masculine grace. Or, said it again differently, what you've got is 21st century, a 21st century rendition of grace seeking to lighten everything up versus biblical grace. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know it, 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 it alarms me that somehow we have gotten so accustomed to the whole notion of grace that we think that we can toy with sin. And that anybody who stands up and talks about expectations that God might have on us to be obedient people, how do you square that with grace, Jimmy? What do you mean, how do I square it with grace? It is grace. Paul is not uncomfortable putting grace and rules side by side. Why are we... When David got ready to talk about a definition of blessedness, what did he talk about? Do you think David knew anything? Yeah. Yeah, he did. And oh, that we would know this God like he does. And then we would talk, we would make statements like, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. But I mentioned rules. And people want to know, how does that square with grace? I don't know how that happened. You've been listening to the wrong TBN preachers. Because, guys, what happens when you get this mushy grace crap? What it does is that it, it gives you this laissez-faire about sin 
what's an affair among Christians who love each other? I'll tell you what it is. It's a violation of the seventh commandment that we're supposed to obey because it's one of his righteous rules. Okay, guys, this is the Old Testament version. Next week's the new. But I want you to stick with me, and I, and I, want, I want to teach from Leviticus chapter 19 and 20. And I'd like for you to go there. <clears throat> We, we got to hurry, um, and there is there are miles to go before we sleep. Um, let me let me read you the first four verses of Leviticus nineteen, and and you'll just have to you have to come back and read it again to yourself. But and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, "Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father." And what's that? Oh, oh, that's the fifth commandment. Uh, and you shall keep my Sabbath. What's that one? Oh, that's the fourth commandment. Uh, I am Lord your God. Uh, um, uh, you should be holy for I am Everyone of you should. And, and do not turn to idols. That's the first commandment. Or making yourselves into God's cast metal. Oh, that's the second commandment. And then he says, I am the Lord your God. Now, drop down to verses 11 and 12. You shall not steal. Uh, mm-hmm. what, that, what, what is that one? Uh, that, that may be the, uh, the uh, uh, is that the Eighth Commandment? Okay, and then um, uh, you should not lie to each other. Which one is that? What's the Ninth Commandment? Uh, you not swear by, um, by my name falsely? No, I see. That's the, uh, that's the uh, Third Commandment. So what you've got here is a rehearsal of the Ten Commandments. I, I just showed you seven of the Ten I didn't find three of them in that little brief passage. I might have missed them. Um, but I want you to notice as the, as the chapter opens, go over to the same chapter, verse 37. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my... Uh-oh. There it is again. Rules. And do them. I am the Lord. Now, gang, you got to stick with me now. Wake up. You have got to track with me at this point. And I've just showed you seven of the Ten Commandments mentioned here. And the other three are probably stuck in there somewhere. I didn't find them. And then he closes by saying, you shall um, uh, observe all my statutes and my righteous rules. All right. What is going on here in Leviticus 19? Is God establishing some kind of new legalism, new code? That is, if he, as if he were saying, if you're going to be mine, then you got to live like this. I mean, if, you're gonna, if, if you want to be mine, <laughs> then uh, do this, and then you can be mine. No, a thousand times no. Well, now, wait a minute, Dr. Young. I mean, how can you be so emphatically sure that that's not what's going on here? I mean, this might be the Old Testament. They do stuff in the Old Testament. <laughs> and we're in the New Testament, you know, and, you know, these Old Testament, they are all legalists. All right, guys. Look with me. 
Verse three. Every one of you and his mother and father should keep it. I am the Lord, your God. Uh, do not turn eyes, make God. I am the Lord, your God. Verse 14. Uh, but you shall feel fear, your God. Verse 25. Um, I am the Lord, your God. Verse 31. Um, I am the Lord, your God. Verse 37. And you shall observe I, and, 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 and do them. Um, uh, and um, oh, it's yeah. I am the Lord, your God. It's in verse thirty-six. Excuse me. Um, how about chapter twenty, verse seven? I am the Lord, your God. Verse twenty-four. Um, I am the Lord, your God. Do you understand what's being said, ladies and gentlemen? You and me are already God and, and, and subject. We are already in relationship. I am the Lord, your God. I'm not telling you here how to become one. I'm saying you already are. And if you, if you doubt that, the coup de grace is found in chapter 20, verse 26. This is glorious. You shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? Do you see what God has said? You are already my people. I am already your God. Well, how did that happen? Because you obeyed the Ten Commandments? Oh, no, 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 no. I'll tell you how it happened. I separated you to be my people out of all the nations in the earth. I separated you to be mine. You know how this happened? How we came to be in a relationship with this God? Sovereign grace. where God comes and gets us and separates us from all humanity. Now, as such, I am to obey. Rules, statutes, commandments, testimonies, whatever you want to call them. Are there expectations that God has on me? Yes, there are. Did he give me some talents that he wants me to use? Yes, he did. Does he have expectations in response to his gift giving? Oh, yes, he does. Well, how do you square that with God? Ladies and gentlemen, those are not, those are not enemies. I am to obey, why? So that I can gain a relationship with God? Nonsense. I am to obey because I am already in a relationship with that God, a relationship that was born and begun by sovereign grace. He separated. 
and you. From all the peoples. And I am now, he is now my God. And as such, there is an expectation upon me to obey the rules. God, guys, God's appeal to us to be holy is based on and rooted in the relationship that he created with us by sovereign grace. As people who belong to him, who, 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 who do I belong to? Oh, the one that says, I, uh, the Lord, am holy. As somebody who belongs to that God, those people they live like this gang these commandments that you find listed in chapter 19 and 20 those are not stipulations of a contract that is well now if you do this and uh, you keep that and you pay me what you know what I owe you what you owe me and and if you, you know, go to church, uh, you know, twice a week, and uh, if you do this and do that, then we can have a contract. Ladies and gentlemen, those laws are not stipulations of a contract. They are implications of a covenant relationship that we have with God. They're not stipulations. They're implications of a relationship that I already have. How did I get it? came and got me because I sure wasn't running towards him. And the God who unilaterally made that covenant relationship with me, verse 26 of chapter 20, is a God who is holy and he expects a similar holiness from his people. You see, in essence, he says, people who belong to me reflect me. I, the Lord, am a holy God, and therefore you shall be holy. And what does holiness look like? Well, you know, I'm sure we could say a lot, but it starts with this. Rules. Why do we revolt at that? And, And you notice I pointed this out before, but God's right to command us is rooted in who he is. He says that five times in chapter 19 alone. Da-da-da-da-da-da, I am the Lord. You shall da-da-da-da-da-da, I am the Lord. By the way, he didn't say that. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Now, listen, you gotta listen. My obedience 
earns me nothing. But it is required. Why? Because I am in a covenant relationship with this God who is holy and I'm in this covenant relationship because he, by sovereign grace, separated me from the other peoples. And, and, and may I add this too, just to maybe speak peace. My security as one of his is not found in my obedience. As if, well, if I stop obeying, he's going to kick me right out of the family. You know, if I get a DUI, I'm lost. I'm, you know, I'm a goner. <laughs> my security as one of his is not rooted in my... Listen, listen to this, guys. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Why am I safe? Because it pleased the Lord to make us a people for himself. It's for his great name's sake, not mine. And that's why I'm safe. Guys, let me show you one other thing, and, and I'll try to get this over with. I want you to go to Exodus 15. Now, you know what in Exodus 15, uh, you know what happens in Exodus um, uh, 14? Exodus 14 is the crossing of the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army gets grounded. You know? <laughs> Goodbye, Pharaoh. And then, chapter 15, they sing this song. Uh, Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. All right, that's, that's 15. Now, but look at the end of 15. <clears throat> oh, we got the bitter water made sweet. Then Moses made it, set up the Red Sea, and they went to the wilderness, and sure, and there went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. Uh-oh. And the people grumbled against Moses. What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him along, and they threw it in, et cetera, et cetera. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will make you one of my sons and daughters. Is that what that says? Why doesn't it say that? Because they already are. How did they become the sons and the daughters? Well, God went to Egypt and got them. He separated them unto himself for his own great namesake. But, but go back. And do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord your healer. It is very interesting, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> while Israel was in Egypt, before they left, 
there's no mention of law or statutes. Now they've been brought out. They've been redeemed. They've been made people of God. That having been done, he then says to them, Obey me, because I am the Lord your God. One, um, one final note. What gets to my heart? What ultimately changes me? Law? No, no. For me to get up here and expound and explain what adultery is would be a waste of my time and yours. You already know what it is. What, what gets to my heart? The gospel. You want me to read you the gospel? Why, it's found right here in Leviticus 20. This is what gets to my heart. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. Does it move you that God calls you mine. Gang, the only time <clears throat> any of us are ever going to get an appetite for holy living is when we come to the place when we realize what God has accomplished in sovereign grace to bring us to himself. And, and then we would get cozy and comfy with sin? Then we must not understand grace. Because if you know grace, All that does is quicken you and enliven you to reflect the God who separated you unto himself. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not here to square obedience and rules with grace. Because they don't need to be squared. They are not enemies. And they're not contradictory. I'll leave you with this. You shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy. 
have separated you from all the peoples. Our Father, would you, um, would you use my vain babblings to, to clarify for your people that we might not get sucked into this thing that is just, that is so mushy, it is so weak, it is so, it is so contrary. Oh God, grace, we're told in Romans, reigns through, not, through righteousness, not at the expense of it. Teach us, O oh God, the great beauty of what you have accomplished in our souls to make us who we are. And that's the thing that will ultimately change us. Not law, but the beauty of the gospel. And we ask it all, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.